We're in uh, Matthew chapter 5. For those that uh, have been coming regularly, we've been taking our time going over, um, well, Matthew's gospel, really. And uh, we're going to just continue with that in a moment. But before I do that, it'd be good to just pray together. It'd be good to ask for uh, God's spirit to just come and move because we believe that the word of God is it's just that, don't we? We don't believe that this book, the Bible, is just like any other book, but it has the power to speak to our hearts and transform us today. So we want to pray that that would take place, don't we? We want receptive hearts to hear what God has to say. More important than what our leaders and other people might say is what God says and speaks to us. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it um, it speaks to us today. It um, causes us to uh, turn our eyes towards you. And we pray by the power of the Spirit that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say today. We thank you for this famous passage, the Sermon on the Mount, where you spoke to the crowds and you addressed them. And we just pray, God, that even though this took place 2,000 years ago, that the relevance of what was said on that mountainside would, be, would, would just be apt for us today, that it would speak into our situations that there'd be practical applications for us, that we might take what we hear today and put it into practice. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, we are uh, taking our time in Matthew, and we're still in Matthew chapter 5. I was putting together our kind of um, teaching program, if you like, for Beyond Easter earlier this week, and realized that it will be about a year since we started Matthew, and we'll have done seven chapters. So if we carry on at this rate, it's going to take four years just to do Matthew. And then we'll do something like Luke, and that'll take four years. Um, I think it's mainly because Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8 are so loaded with stuff. It will speed up once we're off the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sure. Um, but when we look at this passage today, when we look at it as a whole, as the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly these Beatitudes, it should be obvious to us what the cry of Jesus is on the mountainside. Now, I was in town yesterday um, because Grace and Evangeline had gone to the theatre to watch some Gruffalo's Child thing, and I was left with Elijah, and we so we just wandered around Chesterfield aimlessly. There isn't that much to do, really, I kind of discovered yesterday morning. But there were some people in bright green T-shirts um, shouting some stuff um, about exiting Europe. And um, I just thought, as I saw them, I, was, I knew straight away I couldn't miss the message or the purpose of what they were there for and what they were doing. And it made me think a little bit about the Beatitudes and what Jesus is doing on the mountainside, that we should be in no doubt as to what they're there for, as to what he is speaking and saying to the people on the mountainside. And he's saying this, you need a new heart. You need a new life. You need to be transformed. You need to come to me and find this new life. It's not just these little snippet one-liners that are quotable and you can stick on your fridge. He's trying to teach a whole new way of living. You need a new life. You can't carry on as you once were. And you need to follow me. And this is how he says we do it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
And that's what we're up to today. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this morning I want to do two things. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want to point you in such a way that you keep walking on the path that you're going to encourage you to just keep going and to keep making peace wherever you are. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, then I'm here to implore you to actually get onto the correct path. And that's a little bit of what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5. is saying, this is how we should live. This is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to have a new heart and a new life. And if that isn't you, get right. So we have to get right with God. And once we're right with God, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And that's what I want to focus on to start with, this bit called sons of God. Because there's no explanation given there by Jesus, is there? And he's not assuming stuff, because thankfully in the rest of the New Testament, we get a little bit of explanation of what it means to be sons of God. But he just says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. No explanation, no one, two, three steps. This is how you do it. But fortunately, John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, that's received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And that's just two passages. There's lots and lots of passages. Romans 8 is a great one. And what it means to be the children of God. It's clear from, I think, those two passages alone and other passages in the New Testament that you don't become a son of God just by peacemaking. That's how you could read it, couldn't you? Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be sons of God. But that would mean that every soldier who's ever fought in a war to obtain peace or every treaty that's ever been signed by political leaders, that they would automatically be Christians regardless of what they believe. Which just isn't right, is it? So it doesn't fit that it's just by peacemaking you're saved, by peacemaking you become sons of God. But it says in John, to all who received Jesus, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Peacemaking is something that God does, and as a result, those who put their faith in Jesus then do. It's a response thing. It's not a, the first thing that we do, but it, it's more like if we're the sons and daughters of God, as a child is like their parent and the God that we worship is a God of peace, we should have a reputation for being peacemakers too. So um, we become the children of God through faith in Jesus. If you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour this morning, today, if you recognise your need for Jesus that you've been uh, far from God, that you've turned your back on him. In one sense, if you lift up your white flag, your declaration of war against God and surrender your life to him, entrusting in him, you become the children of God and adopted into his family, brought about by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we talk about the cross. That's why we sing about the cross so much, because it's at that point that changes history. It's at that point that changes our eternal destiny. It's at that point that we go from rebellion and at war to being at peace. All because of what God does, all because of what Jesus does for us. But before we can be at peace, and we all want that, don't we? I believe we do. I believe we all want to have that peacefulness on our hearts, that restfulness in who God is. We, have to, we need peace with God before we can have peace from God. We need to get our relationship with him right first in order to then be at peace. And peace, as I've said, is in the DNA, if you like, of who God is. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace 
will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I know that seems like a bit of a paradox because he's crushing the enemy. But in crushing the enemy, it brings about peace. And that's a, a future thing that Satan will one day be crushed. But it's his title I'm interested in there. The God of peace. Who brings about ultimate peace for us in Jesus. Colossians 1. For in him, Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. If we are sons and daughters of God. If you've put your trust in Jesus. Then this passage says you should look like peacemakers. Not of your own efforts, but because God is a God of peace. You should look like him. Now, children do it, don't they? I've said this before, but children are like their parents. We, can, we have a massive influence upon our children in the way that they act and the way that we nurture them, both positively and negatively. And as I was dwelling on these words, a little story came into my mind of what's happened in the last 10 days, so, you know, heap your shame upon me in advance. It's always to do with driving, I'm finding, and car-related things. So I've obviously got a bit of an issue here. But I have got myself into a bit of hot water with the guy across the street, uh, and particularly his son. Um, it's because my daughter has obviously got very good hearing, um, which I wasn't too sure on, um, and decides to repeat things that us adults say. Um, but she doesn't have the same tact as I do and doesn't do it in secret places, um, <laughs> which is a bit naughty. But she, um, she says things in public, in front of people. Um, but outside our house, if you've been to our house, we have a turning circle, which I have christened my turning circle for turning my car around. But if there are cars in my turning circle, I can't turn my car around, right? And there's a guy across the street who has a drive and he has a son um, who also could park his car on the drive but chooses not to. And there's a nice little turning circle for cars to come down, turn your car around, go back out. If you come down my cul-de-sac, et cetera, et cetera. Except that you can't because our friend has decided to park his car there. And it doesn't bother Grace in the slightest, but it really winds me up. And I know it shouldn't because it's not my parking space, but I have deliberately parked in the middle of it before so he can't fit his car there. Um, and then Grace did make me go and move it, actually. Um, but once or twice, to my shame, I may have muttered under my breath, oh, that stupid idiot's part there. That's terrible, isn't it? That's actually terrible. I shouldn't say that. Um, and I've got no excuse, really, because I shouldn't say that. But the other day, getting out of the car, you've guessed it, as we got out of the car and this young lad got into his car, eventually my three-year-old daughter pipes up, look, there's that stupid idiot. Oh dear. Now, a part of me, you know those moments where a part of you just dies on the inside. And you're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Now, I don't think he heard because he still parks his car there. But I'm going to go out on a limb that, by God's grace, he's going to watch this. And uh, he's going to move his car. It's a blue one. Uh, if you ever come around to my house now, You'll see it and you'll go, oh, there's the car. It's still in the turning circle. But we should be, joking aside, we should be like God in a positive way, shouldn't we? Not like that example of there with my daughter where actually my sin and my wrongfulness before God are the things that she's picking up. We should be picking up godly attributes and good things from our Father in heaven. 
as disciples, we're peacemakers. We're not those who crusade. We're not those who destroy. We're not those who knock down. But we're those who build bridges, those that build up, those that repair. Just as God built a bridge to us and and restored our brokenness and our broken relationship with him, we're to be peacemakers in the world. We're to be the people that... Where there's broken down relationships and there's mess, we're to be the ones that restore builders of bridges at work, in our communities, in our homes, in our churches. Goodness me. In our churches, we're to be people of peace, people that restore. Now, this isn't a peacekeeping mission. That's, that's a little bit different, isn't it? There's a difference between making peace and keeping the peace. We're not to just step in and, and keep warring factions at work from biting each other's heads off and say to one person, oh, don't worry about them, they've got a short fuse, and then go to the other one and say, don't worry about them, they've got a short fuse. That doesn't achieve anything. We're not just keeping peace. We're not trying to prevent, you know, at work, we're not trying to prevent fights about the photocopier. We're trying to make peace. And we can be responsible for making peace in our own situations. You know, we have peace from God. We have peace with God so we can have peace from God so that we can have peace with one another. That's the order of things. That's how it works. We get, we're at peace with God so we can have his peace so that we can share the prince of peace with the people that we come into contact with. So the important things I want to take away from today are, one is we need to get right with God. If you're not right with God this morning, then you're not at peace with God, which is why you've got no peace in your life. It's really straightforward. Get right with God, be at peace with God. The second thing, though, is once we're right with God, once we're walking with God, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? That's a good question, isn't it? How practically am I to make peace in my situations? Now, when I thought of the word peace, um, what do you think of when you think of of peace? You think of maybe the UN, possibly. You might think of um, political parties uh, like Greenpeace, who actually aren't particularly peaceful. But you might think of those things. You don't necessarily think of the church, right? We should do. Before the UN, before Greenpeace, before activists, when we think peace, we should think the church. Which means we're not doing something right if we don't. And if the world doesn't, the church seems to be associated with scandal more than it does peace, doesn't it? I mean, not this one, but all churches thrown into the mix together but we should be known as peacemakers Jesus has blessed are the peacemakers and the world has its own idea of achieving peace doesn't it um, some might say bombing the heck out of a country will achieve peace some might say sitting back and doing nothing and letting them get on with it will achieve peace we all have these kind of ideas don't we and uh, I came across um, this quote, courtesy of, I think, Chris Hall and Christian Vision for Men. And it was uh, by a Frenchman called, I've got to say it in a French accent, uh, Denis Diderot. There we go, that's my best French. Uh, Who was an art critic, Uh, he was a writer, he was a philosopher, he was a leading thinker during the period of enlightenment. And uh, he wrote poems alongside all sorts of other things. I think one of the things he tried to do was compile like an encyclopedia of lots of information. Um, But he was a a prominent atheist as well. And um, 
he quoted a poem which he thought that this would be the answer to freedom. And so with freedom, there's kind of inferred a peace, isn't there? If you're free, the nation, the people will be peaceful. And this is what he quotes in one of his poems. He says, man will never be free until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest. That's what he reckons will bring about freedom and peace. That the last king, and I know he's right into a context where kings and priests, not good people. But the last king will be strangled. Just think of that. It's a bit messed up. Strangled with the entrails of the last priest. The problem with that in talking to Chris is you've still got a psycho on the loose who's prepared to cut out someone's entrails and strangle somebody with them. So you still don't have peace because you've got people like that bombing about. It doesn't work as a peaceful solution. But in a sense, that's the world's view on peace. If you think about it, we try this here. We'll bomb that nation there. And hopefully it will bring about peace. I'm not being political here. I, I'm, not gonna, you know, I'm, not, I'm not going into what my politics would say about whether we should be bombing Syria or we shouldn't be bombing Syria. I'm not particularly bothered about the ins or outs there, but rather my point is that the world and all its philosophy, all its thought, doesn't do a good job of peace, does it? Doesn't do a good job at all. So according to God, what does peacemaking look like? That's got to be worth something. That's got to matter to us more than what our political parties might say. And I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to try and not steal the thunder, but Jesus answers it later in the same chapter in Matthew 5. And he gives us a couple of uh, tips, if you like, or a couple of things that we should be doing as Christians in order to be making peace. This is what he says in Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Do you see the parallel of that passage with the passage we're looking at today? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. And here we have, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's the same outcome but with a different context before it. So here he gives us um, a couple, uh, he opens up to us that actually peacemaking is to do with loving our enemies, loving those who we're not at peace with. You think, well, that's really simple. That's really straightforward. Why didn't I think of that? But that's what he says here. Loving your enemies is how we make peace. And he gives us two examples of what that looks like. The first one is we pray. Have you seen that there? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How do we make peace? The first step is we pray. Now, you pray that you would have a pure heart. You pray that you would have pure thoughts because the, the beatitude that comes before blessed are the peacemakers are blessed are the pure in heart. They go together. We're not going to be very good at making peace if we haven't got pure intentions. If people know we're having them on, if people know we're not being genuine, if people know we're not being pure, we're not going to achieve peace, are we? 
We're not going to make peace in our situations. And the first thing is was to pray. And it's not to pray aggressively. Don't pray curses on people. Don't pray smite them, almighty smiter, because I'm angry with them. Pray for them. Pray for their heart. Pray affectionately for those who persecute you. That person at work who drives you insane, pray for them. That's the first step. That person in your family that you've got a long-standing conflict with, the first step is to pray for them. Because I tell you, that's a hard thing to do. Pray for those who persecute you. Go the way of peace. Loving the unlovable. Praying for those who make life difficult. Pray for peace between you and the person that you're banging heads with. A few verses later, Jesus gives us the second step because it's always, I believe, when we're reading Scripture, there's this combination of prayer and action. There's prayer, but there's always something that we can physically be doing as well as praying. And it's true in these verses too. A few verses later, another example of making peace. For if you just love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Loving people like us is, is really easy, isn't it? Loving people that are a bit different to us, loving the guy with the blue car in my turning circle, is a little bit more difficult than loving my family, loving my wife and my children. But we're told here that loving those who are different to us, unknown or even our enemies, that is peacemaking. And what he follows that up with, is he says, if you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, don't just greet and keep the peace with those like you. Don't just keep peace with those that are moving in your circle. But actually, those who uh, you're finding it difficult with, those who your bridges have been burnt with, don't just pray for them. Greet them too. And when I say greet them, I mean say hello to them. Don't walk past them. If you see them walking on the path towards you, don't put your hoodie up and cross over the road. Which is something that I've done, (laughs) but something we shouldn't do. One of the ways we make peace here is we take the steps towards people. We greet the people. Now, we don't have to, you know, go into our life history with this person. We're finding it very difficult. But at least we say hello. At least we take that step towards them to make peace with them. And when we do it, as I say, we don't do it in a shallow or fake way. You know, I've, I've seen people. You can tell when someone greets you and they don't really want to talk to you, can't you? You know, and they come up to you and say, oh, it's so great to see you. I love you so much. They're like, yeah. It actually makes it worse. But that doesn't mean don't greet them. There's nothing wrong with me saying, hi, Joe, how are you doing? You all right, mate? Great. It can build bridges, especially if there's been a bit of tension there. There hasn't been, I don't think. Not my end anyway. If there is, it's your problem. But don't be phony. Be genuine. We genuinely, we pray for people. But also, we greet them. We go out of our way to greet them. And it, you know what peacemaking does? It tries to build bridges. It doesn't let the sun go down without us seeking a resolution to falling out. 
Because if we just sit on our grudges, if we just sit on our animosity, it breaks relationships, it breaks communities, it breaks churches, it breaks hearts. And our hearts get wrapped in animosity and the grudge and it grows and we end up miserable and we end up moaning. Do any of us want to be like that? We don't, do we? I mean, really, we don't want to get there, but we can get there so easily because we don't long for peace. You know, I believe if we long for peace in our hearts, our actions will follow. If we start longing for peace with the people that we're coming up against, our actions, the way that we love them, the way that we greet them will follow on. Now, some of you this morning, I know, will be sat on some long-standing stuff will be sat on some disputes that have not yet resolved themselves. I could say certain people if I knew their names and it would just get you all riled up the wrong way because you're not at peace. And I'm in that place too, as we all are, I'm sure. And we need to know that actually some people just don't want peace. But just because they don't want peace isn't an excuse for us not to pursue it. Just because the other side don't return the greeting to us and don't pray for us doesn't mean we don't go out of our way. Doesn't mean we don't take the steps towards people. Doesn't mean we don't attempt to build bridges. Even if they knock them down, we build them again. Don't give up on peace. But please know, peace is not always achieved. And you know what? The Bible says that's okay. As long as you do your part. Romans 12, 18, great passage that we've quoted so often, Romans 12, about this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to live generously and to walk in humility. And also it says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Do you see what word the Apostle Paul's put in there for us, thankfully? If possible, so long as it depends upon you you. As I said, some people don't want peace, they just want war. Nothing that you will say, nothing that you will do will build those bridges, but it doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we don't greet. We can't allow ruptured relationships to be our fault, and we haven't done our bit to repair them and restore them. We have to be known as people that strive for peace. That's why the church isn't associated with peace, because we don't pursue it. Our hearts don't long for peace in our relationships. But if we start doing that, it displays the peace of God to the world. We've got to be the first to cross the room. Because I believe that if we start shutting down and writing people off and saying peace can't be achieved and not making the effort, even if people knock down the efforts that we make, we minimize the work that God's done for us in bringing peace, don't we? I'm so thankful that God didn't write me off. I don't know about you, he should have written me off a long time ago, but he didn't. He didn't. Instead, Jesus went to the cross for me so that I could have peace with God. So even when we fall short of achieving peace with those who make life difficult, you know, Boyo might never park his car somewhere else. Not that it's a big deal. Maybe I need to sort my head out. (laughs) But we can hold our hands up and say, I did my part. 
I have prayed for this person. I continue to pray for this relationship. I continue to greet them even if they don't greet me. Even when they cross the, even then when they're walking towards me and they cross over the other side, I'm going to cross the other side too. That'd be really awkward if that happened, wouldn't it? You know, if you see someone deliberately trying to avoid you, start fo- no, don't start following them. But like, that would be quite funny. I'd like to see that. A little, little challenge for you there, see if anyone can do that. But I just thought I'd close with, the question that kept running through my head was, it seems that Jesus is just focusing on our individual relationships when he's talking about peace. You know, when I think of peace, I think of Syria and, you know, trying to get peace in Syria. I think of, you know, all these countries that have got their nuclear deterrence and, and South Korea and North Korea and, and no man's land in between and how they're going to get peace and freedom. I think of ISIS and the war that they're waging and how we ever going to be at peace in the Middle East and in North Africa. Is that just me? That when you think of peace, you always think of it on a global scale and we neglect to think about peace in our own relationships or in our own workplaces or in our own homes, right? Because Jesus, it's really interesting. Jesus doesn't talk about peace here in Syria or he doesn't even talk about peace from Rome. Now, Jesus is a Jew. The Jewish people are under Roman occupation. They've been invaded. The iron fist of Rome, they're having to pay taxes to an occupying nation. This is not a free state. This is not a happy place to be. It's as if, you know, in Britain, we're, we've been taken over by the Germans. We wouldn't be too happy about it, would we? Paying our taxes to Germany. You would think that if we were speaking and writing about peace at that time, all we would talk about is having peace as a nation. All we would talk about is being free from the Roman occupation, right? You would think that's what Jesus would talk about on the mountainside. Rally the troops. Come on, let's do over Rome. Let's be at peace. But he doesn't. He doesn't even mention it. And as you go through the Gospels... He never really does. He never starts saying stuff particularly about Rome. He says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he's always focusing on peace in our relationships, peace with the people that are in our immediate environment. Now, it's not to say that Jesus isn't bothered, but he's driving at something else, something more important. The fact that he doesn't use his platform to address the cruelty of Rome, but uses his platform to address the broken down relationships between individual people tells us something about if we want peace. Tells us something that peace is brought about through transformed lives on an individual basis. That's how peace is going to be brought about. We want peace in our nation. We want as many people to know Jesus as possible. That's how we're going to have peace. It's not through signing treaties. It's not through trades deals and all that kind of stuff. Great, fine, whatever. That's not going to obtain peace. What's going to obtain peace is that God's people start making peace with the people that they're coming to contact with. It means people like you, people like me, on the ground, making peace in our own relationships with those people at school with those people at work with those people at university 
with our family members that we haven't talked to in however long. Whatever the situation might be for you, and there will be people that trip into your mind as I'm saying these things, we have to pursue peace with them. That's what Jesus is interested in. Building bridges through transformed lives. Because people are then put at peace with God. You know, we're at peace with God so we can have peace from God. So we can show peace to one another. So that people can be visited by the Prince of Peace. Why do I want to pursue peace? Why? So that people see Jesus Christ. So that people will come to faith. And then they will be put at peace so that they can share peace with the people in their situation. God wants his children to represent him well. He wants his children full of mercy, poor in spirit. But he also wants them as peacemakers. You see, for Jesus, peace with God is the most important thing. More important than the situation with Rome was that people were at peace with God. Why? Because it holds eternal consequences. Nations will rise and nations will fall. Egypt was once the greatest nation the world has ever seen. And now they've got a McDonald's next to the pyramids. That's not cool. Rome once spanned huge amount of land. Now where is it? Oh, it's just Italy. Nations will rise and nations will fall. But people getting right with God and people being put at peace with God lasts forever. That's why Jesus prioritizes the individual relationships that you have. Because actually, it's more important because it holds eternal consequences. Because then people will know the Prince of Peace. So it's really simple this morning. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you need to recommit your life to him today, do it so you can be at peace with God. And if we have already, then we're to be those who make an effort to make peace in our workplaces, at home. And we do that by praying for them and greeting them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. And I found this lovely verse in Luke chapter 1, which is the perfect verse to just close uh, this message this morning. It says this, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That Jesus has visited us to guide us, guide our feet, guide our life, guide all that we do into the way of peace. Why don't we just take a moment to pray? I think it would be good as well, uh, perhaps for, you know, before God, you know, to thank him that he loves us, thank him that he's, he's brought about peace in our own lives but also to just dwell upon those kind of practical things about peacemaking. So often we do jump to the big things, and it's right, we should pray for Syria, and we should pray for peace in our world. But, you know, we can make a massive difference in our own communities, in our own workplaces, by being peacemakers. 
So I just want you to know, I'm going to just leave it. We're just going to have a moment of quiet, actually. It's not an awkward quiet. It's a, a quiet and a, a being still before God. To just search your heart, actually, and just ask God the Holy Spirit. You can pray this prayer. You know, Holy Spirit, will you just reveal to me who it is that I'm not at peace with? Help me to pray for them. Help me to greet them. Now, some of those people will not want peace with you. So it's, it's greeting them and continue to pray for them. You don't have to be best buddies with them, but to be peacemakers. So I'll just leave it. We'll just have a, a moment of quiet. Just search your heart and then we'll pray. Yeah, Lord, we recognize that none of this is easy. Countercultural living is difficult. And uh, praying for those who can make our life a little difficult. Greeting those who don't love us <laughs> is one of the hardest things we can do. But God, we're just reminded this morning <laughs> of your love for us. That while we were at war with you, hating you, you laid down your life so that we could be transformed, so that we can wave that white flag of surrender and come before you and know you. Thank you that we can enjoy relationship with you and you've put us at peace. And we just pray now, Lord Jesus, for your spirit to come and that peace that passes all understanding would just comfort our hearts. That we'd first be reminded that we are the children of God, that that is something amazing that our eternal destiny lies with you, Jesus. Something to rejoice in. And I pray that there just be that moment of peace upon our hearts, that comfort that says, I'm a son or daughter of the King. Thank you, Jesus. And God, we pray from that place of peace. We've prayed already. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you just reveal to us those people maybe in our own families, those people maybe... Um, in our workplaces, or those people at the gym, or whatever it might be, whatever context that we've, even people in this room, people that we've fallen out with in church, or whatever it might be, God, we just pray that you would uh, cause us to pray for those relationships, and cause us to greet one another, cause us to be the kind of people who take that first step, who live generously who make peace, who pursue peace. Change our hearts, God. Forgive us for our sin, for our wrong behavior before you. God, we, as your children, want to look like you, want to represent you well. And God, we pray as well this morning. We pray that if we don't know you, we thank you that you have come for us. We recognize, Jesus, you are the Son of God who through your blood, through your sacrifice, has brought peace for us all. And we just say that we trust in you this morning. We recognize that you want us to join your family. So we just want to, again, repent of our sin, to turn back to you and just ask for more of your grace. 
more of your kindness, more of your peace upon our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.